Hi, I'm Jean-Michel and welcome to the show. And today we are joined by one of the brightest minds in the blockchain industry, the founding father of IBM Hyperledger, Mr. Gurvinder Alualia. Let's jump in. Gurvinder, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, good, Jean-Michel. It's so good to see you. Likewise, likewise. Thank you for inviting me, inviting me to the show and the discussion. Thank you for being here. It's been a minute. So we're 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 uh, we've known each other for some time, but um, I think it's best we start with a little bit of an intro about who you are, what it is you do, and what's your interest in the blockchain space. Okay. Well, thanks for introducing me uh, again. My name is Gurvinder Alawalia. I'm uh, based in uh, Dallas, Texas. And I've uh, had most of my professional training and career in the United States. I'm originally from India. I'm the founder and CEO of Digital Twin Labs, which is kind of think of it like a venture studio where we invite innovation from startups and enterprises uh, and other participants. Uh, previously, my background is in large tech environments. I've done stops at um, Motorola, which is where I started my career. And uh, it was kind of the first bookend of my career where I had the privilege of deploying uh, the second largest uh, TCP IP network of the world back at that time. Uh, so putting in the plumbing at that time. And the reason I note it that way is because I'll fast forward in a few minutes to kind of where we are. And that is a whole new kind of plumbing that all of us are involved in putting in place now uh, around blockchain. But anyway, in between, I made stops at Accenture, um, at uh, Texas Instruments. I had the privilege of launching the first embedded Linux handheld-based uh, device into the U.S. market and uh, then turned my career into the next wave of technology, which was around cloud and IoT. And my last corporate um, innings was at IBM, where I was the CTO for IBM's blockchain, IoT, and uh, cloud business, and also was privileged to co-found the IBM blockchain business, and in parallel co-found the parallel, uh, you know, the 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 open source hyperledger uh, Linux Foundation movement. Uh, of course, since since. Um, since removing my IBM uniform in 2017 when I formed Digital Twin Labs, I've been working more agnostically with different kind of blockchains. So, uh, so to close out on the on the current bookend of where I am in my, you know, in my journey, it's it's um, stewarding the industry and putting in, you know, with help from people like you and many others, putting in what I would say as kind of the next generation of you know, plumbing uh, for the internet with incentives and governance. So I'm sure we'll be talking more about that. But back to you. Absolutely. Um, so you've you've had a you've had a, um, a spectacular career, I think, to to, to say the least. Um, one which I'm sure you've worked you've worked extremely hard for. So, what was it about 2017 that made you want to step away from from uh, from that traditional direction and and do things differently? You know, I won't get into specifics on the direction IBM uh, took, but by now it's well known um, the, on the direction that IBM took, which was, which was towards permissioned private networks. And the way I looked at it is, 
um, is blockchains and more broadly speaking, decentralized ledger technology and networks uh, are going to be more ubiquitous. Uh, they're going to be highly decentralized, meaning the governance particularly. And I wanted to have the opportunity to work with multiple technologies. Um, of course, when you're with a technology provider, then you're mostly restricted to working with you know their set of product family and technologies, even if it is in the open source. Um, there also was a challenge that a single technology provider cannot outpace the innovation of the open source world. And we've seen that time again, and uh, particularly I would cite the Ethereum ecosystem uh, was innovating very, 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 very fast. Uh, so in some sense, um, I had the privilege of, you know, kind of co-pioneering the first generation of business and enterprise blockchains. I had the privilege of implementing the proof for the use of blockchain for the first time um, in a business context, meaning for business use cases for the first time in the planet. And that was shared widely and received very well with the industry and the media. Um, but then the opportunity had to be much larger because we all know the way the numbers are headed, despite the ups and downs of the crypto market, which is separate from what I would say the blockchain base. Um, that this has to be an area where I have to play more widely with different tech technologies. Uh, and then, of course, I wanted the autonomy of things, you know, doing things on my own, which you have great latitude when you're, you know, get into an entrepreneurial kind of a venture like I am. Absolutely. So, th so it's, it's, um, you, you've, um, you touched upon something very interesting there, there, um, Aguri, which is, which is your, your, let's say, um, not so obvious disdain for private and permission chains, right? So um, you you have a very a very particular set of experiences under your belt, right? Like rolling out a TCP/IP network, like one of the first TCP/IP networks out there, is 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 no no small feat, right? And you've seen multiple generations of 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 tech change the world and. And change the way everyone everyone does things. And to be able to have done that, you you saw things way earlier than everyone else did, and way way earlier than it affected everyone else's lives, right? So, what is it about private and permission chains that that you see that you that you personally aren't alright with? Yeah, that's a great question. And what I would say is that. Um, you know, you you do get an opportunity working with uh, frontier technology, um, working at the at the wave at the leading wave of disruption and technology. I try not to call it disruption because it's really not a technological phenomenon. It's more of an economics, more of a phenomenon explained by economics. But nevertheless, when you work with large technologies, change doesn't happen easily. And the entire diffusion process. So I'll give you an example. Like I, for for some period of, and then I'll come, you know, more directly to your question. For some period of my career, as I mentioned, I worked with embedded systems and uh, uh, launched to the market. Uh, you know, one of the first, uh, the first handheld based on uh, embedded Linux. This is before um, before tablets and Apple, uh, uh, you know, iPad and all those fashionable. I'm talking about circa 2000. 
2003, 2004. So, so uh, and, just to be clear, and, and just to be clear I'm sorry to interrupt. Because like, 2003, 2004 was before the first iPhone, right? So we're talking about... Yes. We're talking about... Uh, uh, um, like a Linux embedded device used in, in an enterprise setting? Exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Linux before that was used only in like, you know, backend server data center environments. And, uh, you know, obviously, as we know, you know, put a crunch on, you know, Windows servers. Uh, but the use of Linux in edge devices in embedded systems was a later phenomenon. And uh, so the one, the project that I'm referring to was an EdTech end-user product to handle devices. Um, you know, think of it as a forerunner to what iPad was uh, and had all the bells and whistles, except it was very clunky, it was big, and it was heavy, um, just like just like the original cell phone was. But my point over there, Jean-Michel, is that, um, uh, and in parallel during that time, I also got a chance to work with we are now in 5G, right? So at that time it was 3G. So I worked on 3G, you know, handset terminals. And, and, and I'm, I'm coming to your point on being able to having the advantage of being able to foresee technology. And if you miss a certain cycle in telecom in putting your base in, then you don't get another window until about another seven years, right? Now that is very unique about infrastructure. And that is the reason infrastructure is called infrastructure. And that's the reason it's called plumbing, because it's hard to change it. And if you miss a certain, if you miss a certain window, it does the next window doesn't happen until seven years. But that also means that if you're working on a, on a certain technology now, you know that after seven, eight, ten years is when it will penetrate. So believe it or not, I was working now this technology that we are using. I was working on video conferencing through cell phones in 2004, 2005. And the reason it was because that's when the chip vendors are working on it. Now, nothing gets deeper in an infrastructure than, you know, chip and silicon level. So, right. So that's when the, when, when the chip technology can accommodate, begins to accommodate what at an application level is known as, you know, the technology that we are using right now. Um, and that is what, you know, FaceTime uh, video from Apple and other video capabilities on cell phones is. I'm not talking about laptop. Um, it started at the chip level. So when you're working at certain infrastructure level and other technologies, you're able to foresee when that way will really begin to penetrate into applications and consumerization. So more directly now to your question around, around private permissioned um, kind of blockchains, that taxonomy and that mental framework to organize the understanding of blockchains, whether they are private and public, whether they are you know permissioned versus permissionless, that two by two matrix, if you may, was was an organizing paradigm for simplicity, even though the aspect of um, being private is very, very important to enterprises, right? So um, so that aspect became very, very emphasized in kind of establishing a taxonomy of blockchains um, around the time when I got into the blockchain space, which is 2013, 2014, more realistically, and then it started shake, taking 
you know, some early contours in 2015. And then the business units and the open source movement started in 2016. Um, now, of course, Ethereum was at work, you know, prior to that. Um, so when enterprise, when the first enterprise use case of using blockchain was proven in the work that me and a few others did at IBM in collaboration with Samsung, which incidentally was a IoT smart home use case, um, uh, it was a prototype. But then the enterprise hardening and the requirements began to began to dominate, right? So what is important in the discussion of private permissioned is not so much private and permission, but it is more privacy. So I would shift the lens on the aspect and the feature and the functionality of privacy whether that privacy comes from a private blockchain or a public blockchain then becomes a, 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 a you know a lower um, rung of discussion so the first set of the first set of enterprise business blockchains really went after let's keep it private let's keep it permissioned and that's not a good or bad argument it is an argument of the reality on where the maturity of blockchains and where the maturity of being able to implement privacy was. And the ability to implement privacy required private, required permissioned kind of blockchain. Let me just pause over there and give it back to you. No, it's, it's, um, uh, it's an interesting um, way to look at it. So I was um always of the mind that that uh, permissioned chains and private chains were were the enemy at least for the sort of first uh, first few years of getting into this industry right um uh, and then and then after a while once once you make certain certain realizations you realize that um the technology itself is is agnostic right and it's the use it, it's it's the way in which it's utilized is is actually what's bad However, you made an important distinction in that last in that last um, point, which was that what we really should be focusing on is not whether it's permission or 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 permissionless, but where where do the privacy aspects of the project come into come into play, right? So, how how is it, or do you think it's possible to um, to have a private and open blockchain like something like? Something like Solana, for uh, I'm sorry, a public and open blockchain. Something like like um, Solana or Avalanche or anything like that, and somehow still um, create the privacy requirements for enterprises. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, uh, Michelle. And the way the way I organize my thoughts, and also the way I'm, you know, kind of advancing at least my perspective in the industry. Um, and, and as you know, I was, um, uh, I was invited to give a few talks at Davos and this incidentally was one of the topics recently. Um, and it is like, in some sense, the first, what I call, what I'm referring to as the first generation of enterprise or business blockchains, right? Started from, let's say, 2015, 2016. And in some sense, are beginning to now you know, at best we can say blur, um, but at worst we can, you know, even say there's sort of a demise of it happening. Um, there is some example of 
certain ventures and platforms shutting down, like uh, the most remarkable recent one is TradeLens, which was one of the largest referenceable um, works came out of IBM. And might I confess that I had my early you know, fingerprints on it. Um, but that is a that is the first generation of enterprise you know, business blockchains. And the shift now is towards what I'm referring to as the second generation of business, business blockchains. Uh, and you named a few of those, but I think the, 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 the aspect of privacy is still important. Now, um, I, this, this data point I'm headed to quote from Salesforce might be a little bit dated, but directionally it's still useful. Um, the design point is, of privacy is very important for enter- enterprises. Don't get me wrong. But I think one of the Salesforce surveys a few years ago found out that only something like 6-7% of enterprise data is truly sensitive data, right? So we base the, we base the design and the use and the platforming of 100% of the data of an enterprise and the flows only because of 6% of it is, you know, privacy sensitive, right? So there really isn't any fine granularity and separation and isolation and chiseling of the data, right? So that is, that is a flaw in the narrative around enterprise and privacy, okay? So we have to be very, very specific when we say privacy, what portion of the data is really private. Now, of course, the sledgehammer approach and the easier approach is that, oh, everything is private because it's too much work and we, there is probably an invisibility on what portion of the data is truly private. So that's point number one. The second point is um, the, the model that is emerging for the second generation, or one of the models that is emerging for second generation um, enterprise business blockchains is a tiered structure of blockchains where you have... Um, I'm going to take uh, the example of the Ethereum ecosystem because that's demonstrating the most maturity, but that's not to say that other scenarios and solutions, you know, will not emerge from other kinds of blockchains, but I'm referring to layer two protocols, right? So you have layer two protocol and it's a vibrant ecosystem within the Ethereum ecosystem where you can deploy private instances of a certain enterprise use case on layer two, and then be able to share through, um, you know, economic attestation that is available from the layer one public protocols, um, proofs for data that need to be shared at the same time, keeping them private. So I'm alluding to uh, zero knowledge proofs, uh, where you don't reveal how you arrive at that proof, but you're able to, you know, uh, provide um, the, uh, the 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 verification and the proof of a certain uh-huh. data and the privacy associated. With I mean, Z- ZK is one of those options, and I I, I see it as a a technical solution for 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 using um, or for introducing privacy on public infrastructure. I think <clears throat> the problem with zero with zero knowledge proofs becomes explaining it to the people in power and the people that be exactly how it generates its integrity. It's like, how do you explain to a regulator, okay, yes, sure, 
this person isn't over 18 because that's what the ZK algo says. Like, that's, that's such a mind-blowing barrier to get over, you know? Like, how do you deal with something yeah. like that? Yeah. You know, it, it, this has happened so many times, like time and again, where we have to go back and educate the market and re-educate the market for various reasons. In fact, we're doing some of that even now. We did some of that collectively, you know, in, in, the, in the blockchain uh, collective, uh, you know, in the various talks and conversations and panels that happened at Davos. I'm referring to that since that was really most recent. Um, and and part of it is, uh, and you mentioned regulators, right? So, um, and, and e- e- not just regulators, like just a larger demographics and audience has to be re- re-educated. And just because, and, and the example that I'm referring to now more, most recently is in the light of the crypto winter, in the light of the uh, you know FTX debacle, and prior to that, uh, the stable coins around you know Terra Luna. Last year was a bloodbath. We all know that, but it was a bloodbath in crypto. It wasn't a bloodbath in blockchain. And what that basically did is that we had to step backwards. We had to pedal backwards, and that's not a good or a bad. But it's part of the stewarding that has to be done. And we had to go, you know, educate, re-educate the population once again on the separation between crypto and blockchain. And those are two very, very different things. Crypto is one use case that runs on top of blockchain, right? And, you know, what does that have to do with supply chains running on blockchain or loyalty programs running on on blockchain or dispute resolution programs? But even this, even this exact, even this exact point, which you, which you just made, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, McGurvinder, right? Crypto is just, is just one use case of blockchain, right? But even the possibility of, or, or explaining the idea, which you've just explained to me, to the average person in the street is, is a is an extremely difficult task, right? Um, when you introduce something like zk, it to me it just I don't know you I have I, right. you know what I mean I have a little bit less faith in the understanding of 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 the people that be. Yeah. So is it is it um, is the, is it an issue on the on the user side? Do they have to have some kind of um, uh, higher understanding, or is it an issue on the technology producer side? We, we, we need to be able to explain this in a, in a way that's, that, that pulls the tech out of it and just gives somebody a, 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 a no-nonsense explanation of why yeah. this is valid, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you remember, well, you might not, you're, you're young enough, but people of my demographics would remember, like, what really popularized the internet at the household level, at least in America? Right. I mean, I was. And I was going to say called, pornography and Viagra, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, uh, uh, certainly <laughs> those, 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 <laughs> those, uh, you know, uh, catalyze uh, the the adoption, uh, and you know, wherever technology goes, those kind of things go with it. In fact, um, uh, there is a porno- pornography uh, platform on blockchain. Uh, in fact. And you know, in all fairness, uh, it's called Spank Chain uh, <laughs> on Ethereum. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. I believe you, <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> How you know about it? No. That's what. That's what I'm laughing about. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I'll tell you, but I'll tell you, here's the interesting part, right? So br- to bring it back to ground and innovation, um, and, and, you know, believe me, we talk about privacy, right? Do you think privacy is important to those kind of blockchains, right? Like a spank chain? It would be, right? So, Right? Like, nobody would, like, your girlfriend wouldn't want you to be, you know, seen, or you wouldn't want your girlfriend to be seen, uh, you know, uh, hovering around those kind of blockchains. But here's my point. Some of the best lessons and learnings on privacy technology on blockchains actually came out from Spank Chain. Right? So that is, you know, not really discussed in the media, in the, you know, in the public's kind of, you know, industry, you know, dribble. Um, but there is there is in, there is real innovation for other use cases that comes out of these different use cases that we don't think so much about of uh, so much of um, here's the other example cryptokitties you remember that one right cryptokitties was the first one to test the horsepower and the scalability and brought ethereum down to its knees uh, from the crunching that happened but the other thing that it really pioneered is NFTs, right? So, so there are these very, very interesting uh, alternative use cases that actually provide innovation to real business enterprise use cases. So coming back to you know, how we benefit from um, identity, privacy, that was some of the pioneering work that has spawned from you know, some of these some of these fringe platforms, if I might say, fringe use cases. But then that innovation gets used by, you know, supply chain business cases. Uh, And by the time that happens, you kind of lost the provenance. So many people forget that that, um, the internet, like we said, right, was um, uh, um, popularized essentially by the use of um, uh, Viagra and pornography. Right and and then and then uh, and for Bitcoin it was very much of very much of the same. It was all you could do with Bitcoin two thousand and eight was either send it to someone you knew or buy drugs off the Silk Road. That was it. That was it for the longest time. And yeah. lo and behold, we we we've found ourselves in a in a in a two trillion two a trillion dollar market. Right. Um, so, so uh, we 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 tend to forget these 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 original learnings, which 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 have now brought us to these greener pastures, as it were. And just because they're maybe um, illicit and uh, not too not too not too great to um, talk about, it doesn't mean there's a whole lot we can't learn from them, right? So, spank chain is is probably one of them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so innovation. And, and this also goes back a little bit to the point when you asked me, you know, when I left from IBM over to my entrepreneurial role, innovation can come from any direction. Innovation can come from totally unknown places. Innovation can come from totally unsuspecting sources. Um, you know, as we know from, you know, military history for, you know, wars are won or could be lost for want of a nail. Uh, or for you know Napoleon's buttons, um, uh, so innovation can come from like anywhere. But I want to close the thread out on on the point we were earlier discussing when I when I said like 
what popularized the internet, at least in America. And it was this thing called uh, AOL Online, America Online, right? And what they did is they basically took a CD and stuffed it into everybody's mailbox, meaning physical mailbox. And when you're checking your mail uh, and you're checking your junk mail and you see the CD, and the next thing you do is pop it into the cradle of your laptop or desktop at that time, and you get introduced to this thing called AOL, America Online, and that, that, that you know, uh, that soundbite, you got mail, <laughs> after which even a, movie, even a movie has been made. That was the moment, right? So that was the use case and phenomenon which brought the internet to every home in the United States, right? We don't have an AOL kind of a moment in the blockchain industry. We still struggle, as you were pointing out, on you know how do we convince regulators and others around zero knowledge proofs and trust, um, cryptographic methods, and so on and so forth. We really shouldn't have to, um, but we. It is well known that ease of use, user interfaces, um, these are huge risks for usability and barriers, and we still don't have. So it so happens, for better or worse, that crypto uh, tokens have been the most successful and widely used use case, widely mature and proven use cases, uh, you know, aside from the ups and downs of, you know, capital market um, uh, kind of, you know, greed. But, you know, it's not digital, it's not decentralized identity, which we were hoping for and still pushing for. It is not necessarily supply chain, uh, even though there are several supply chain deployments that I personally have done, like for the supply chain of diamonds, for container, you know, shipping goods, uh, containers and logistics, for uh, food, for uh, micronutrition. Um, these are all platforms that I have deployed um, during my role at IBM and Digital Twin Labs. Um, but those are not the best use cases. They're not the most popular use cases. So we really are missing the ease of use and and the pervasive use cases. Um, you know, for uh, to make uh, to make the adoption of blockchain. Yeah. Uh, kind of simple to every home and everybody. Yeah, lovely, lovely point, Gurvinder. So uh, I think to sort of um, summarize that in a really simple way, I'd say um, the internet had its AOL moment, um, AI had its ChatGPT moment, um, Chat GPT uh, moment. <laughs> That's a good and one. blockchain <laughs> will have its own moment uh, at some point in the future. Right. What that will be, no one knows yet, exactly. but hopefully we'll, we'll be a part of it. Corey, thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Um, take care of yourself. Have a great day.